Hello and shalom. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I'm your host, Joe Amon. We got a great show ahead, so buckle up and hang on. Here we go. Hey, shalom, shalom, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I am your host, Joe Amaw, pastor at Out of Ashes Ministries, and coming to you all the way from Southwest Louisiana today. I hope you're do- you guys are doing great. Uh, I hope your week is going well by the time you're hearing this, and uh, I hope that you're looking forward to Shabbat. And uh, Hanukkah is coming right around the corner. Hanukkah is close, guys. So uh, if you celebrate, hopefully you're looking forward to that and uh, have all your plans in order and all the things ready. And uh, it's an exciting time of year and a time of year that we love in our family. So uh, I hope that you are excited and are well. Uh, We have some Hanukkah gatherings getting together here around the fellowship uh, during Hanukkah and uh, other things that are happening. And then we start to look forward to Purim and then to Pesach uh, all over again. And uh, so I uh, don't have a whole lot of like announcement family business stuff to announce. I just want to say welcome to you guys. Welcome to those of you who are here uh, for the first time. And if you're stopping by listening for the first time on Hebrew Nation, then uh, thank you so much. Thank you to Hebrew Nation for uh, hosting our show and, and allowing us this opportunity to do this. It's a great privilege. We have some amazing teachers on the platform, and uh, so I hope you're taking advantage of all of them as well. And uh, for those of you that are part of the community, the Out of Ashes Ministries community or the IBR, Image Bearers Radio community, uh, thank you guys for being so awesome. Today, we are going to follow up on my Shabbat teaching. So if you did not listen to that or watch our Shabbat teaching that we live stream uh, every week, uh, I'd encourage you to do that on uh, YouTube or our website or Facebook has it archived, wherever. Um, but it's basically the um, thinking about how we think and learning about how we learn. And so I want to follow on to that, make some clarifications, talk a little bit more about it. Uh, and that's what we'll do. We'll get into this episode uh, after we go to the Father in prayer. Avinu Malkinu, our Father and King. We are so blessed and so fortunate to be able to be together and to have these incredible forms of communication. Thank you for bringing your kingdom together and leading us in truth. Father, be with us. Lead us in shalom as we seek to follow you in all your ways. Amen. So as we get into this week's topic, um, again, this is, uh, I taught about this, this this past Shabbat, and uh, this is a very important topic, I think. I mean, it may seem kind of nerdy to some of you, most of you, 
Uh, it may seem really alien and really odd, and you may wonder, like, why are we talking about this? Um, so to begin with, we read the passage uh, out of last week's Parsha uh, Vaishlak uh, that, like, I can't, I can't go through Parsha Vaishlak without talking about Jacob wrestling, right? And so this is in um, this is in Bereshit thirty two. Verse 25, so Yaakov remained all by himself that a man wrestled with him until the break of dawn. Then he saw, or when he saw that he had not overcome, he struck the socket of his hip. So he dislocated the socket of Yaakov's hip when he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the dawn has broken. But he said, I won't let you go unless you bless me. Then he said to him, what is your name? Yaakov, he said. Then he said, your, your name will no longer be Yaakov, but rather Yisrael, for you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Right? So that's the, the, the context of this discussion and the, the, uh, the jumping off point of, of this, this discussion. So um, when we come into the Torah walk, uh, for many of us, this is kind of the first time we've ever really we've ever really thought about our faith, right? This is this might be this might very well be the first time we've ever really thought about what we believed. We ever really engaged in in answering or in asking and answering questions, uh, seeking answers to questions. It, it this may be a season of a lot of firsts for us. And the whole thing about this season for those that are new to, to Torah and to this, this new way of life, and I would say new, but not even brand new, I mean, a few years in probably, uh, is that we're all seeking for truth, right? And as we seek for truth, then we have to wade through all of the knowledge that is out there, right? We have to wade through all of the, the knowledge, all of the things, I mean, I'm 42, so when I was in high school, the internet was in the process of being invented um, by by Al Gore, right? And that's and he the guy that that uh, invented the internet. At any rate, uh, we we were we were in a different time, right? We were in a different existence. Now, I mean, if if I want to if I want to Google anything at any if I want to find out any bit of information about anything at any time during the day or night, I have a computer in my, in my pocket or, on, you know, on the, the arm of the couch next to me and I can just type or I don't even have to touch it. I can call an automated assistant to find an answer for me and have them read it back to me. Right? I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. So we do not suffer from a lack of access to knowledge. That's for sure. We, in my opinion, what we suffer from is a lack of how to intelligently sort through that knowledge to ultimately find truth. And so I think it's really important, um, and I've said this on the, on the program many, many times, right? We talk about this all the time. When I talk about Jewish resources or Christian resources or whatever, I always tell you it's not about what to think, it's about how to think, Right? I don't, I'm not reading Jewish sources for them to tell me how to think about something. I'm not reading Christian, Episcopal, Lutheran, whatever sources for them to tell me how to think. I'm not reading a scholar for them to tell me uh, what to think or what to think. 
about certain things. I'm looking for how they think about it and seeing if that can inform me and how I think about it, right? That's the, that's the point. So if that was confusing and you've never heard this before, we don't listen to, we've, we listen on, uh, in, our, in our circles, we listen to a variety of people, whether that be Jewish, Christian, you know, agnostic, scholar, whatever, historians, psychologists, geologists, whatever. We, li- we want all the information, but we don't listen. In other words, I'm not listening to people for them to tell me what to think, all right? I will decide what I think, but it informs me as to other ways of, of understanding things if I am open to, you know, all the knowledge that's out there. So we want to be open. So just a quick word about kind of some of that, because I think this gets people tripped up a lot. Um, when we lean, when we start to, to uh, how do I say this? When we start to de-demonize or undemonize, I don't know the word for, how do you reverse demonization? Let me just say it like this. I know in my traditions that I grew up in, traditions that I grew up in, uh, science as a whole, uh, the sciences, that whole, the whole world of science was demonized, right? Um, and so archaeology, uh, geology, uh, psychology, all, you know, these, all these studies were, were demonized because they were, they were human, <clears throat> they were human creations, uh, or they were at worst creations of the devil that were trying to invalidate the truths of scripture. And um, I <clears throat> just see that completely differently now, and, I, and hopefully uh, you do as well, or I can help you to, to at least maybe think about it in a different way. Uh, and that Hashem created all of, you know, everything we see. He created the whole universe. All of creation is His. Nobody is denying that fact, or, or I'm not denying that fact, for sure. Are there scientists that would deny that? Yes, whatever. That's not what I'm I understand that. In my estimation, and in my, the way I see it, Hashem, the sciences are just giftings that Hashem gave to people so that we could understand his creation. Now, what happens when we find evidence of something that quote-unquote um, discredits or contradicts the scripture? My suggestion, what I want to present to you, to you is possibly it's not sciences, whatever science or whatever person's attempt to discredit the scripture. It is a possibility that it is that, yes, and there are many of those out there. I'll give you that. But it may be that it is real evidence, and maybe the faith community has been reading this passage or these passages for what we wanted or what we thought they said for all these years, and maybe Hashem is actually using science to to nudge us along and say, hey, that's not what the Bible is doing here in this particular instance. The biggest illustration, the biggest example of this I can think of is Genesis, right? <laughs> well, we've, we've kind of beat that horse to death. Not, I don't think you ever, I don't think you, you can talk about creation and Genesis too much because it's been so uh, twisted into, in my opinion, the wrong thing, right? So in, in our opinion at IBR and at OAM, you know, mine and, and many of my colleagues and, and friends and fellow ministers in, in this space um, understand 
and don't believe that Genesis 1 is a scientific record of creation. Um, we believe it is uh, creation poetry. It's creation myth, which myth doesn't mean uh, false. Myth doesn't mean fake or, or a lie. Um, a myth is, is actually a beautiful thing, a very spiritual thing. Um, and so this is, we, since we've changed the way that we read Genesis, now we are able to, to understand the Bible as a whole in a different way, right? So, and this is because of, of things like science. Not that science has changed the meaning of the Bible, but science has pushed us to deal with some hard questions to read scripture a different way. What science should do, the science is, whether they are, again, his, his, you know, uh, historical, um, you know, geological, archaeological, psychological, you know, whatever. What the sciences should cause us to do is ask questions of our scripture and re-engage with the word of God. You really want to study the word of God? You really want to have to study? Then let, let the sciences push you to ask some questions. So, so that's, that's kind of the, the thing, right? And I know referencing science can be unnerving for some people because if you were like me, the sciences, again, were very demonized. So we're trying to de-demonize or undemonize. And let me just say, are there people in these various fields that would love nothing more than to disprove the Bible and to crush the church? Yes, there are. Um, however, is there a good chunk of, of, of science that is legitimate? They're just searching and they're just examining the evidence? Yeah, there is, of course, um, also. So when we talk about learning and when we talk about wading through this, you know, chasm, this massive just cloud of information we have as we come into the Torah, it's important for us to understand how to navigate it, right? And, and to make sure that we're, we're on a, an, a good journey that is healthy and balanced. So anytime we begin to learn new things or at any point in our lives, when it deals with knowledge, there are kind of four quadrants or four areas uh, of our life and our knowledge base. So number one, there are known knowns, right? There are things that you know that you know. You have experience with them. You, the, you, know, you know you understand these things. Number two, there are known unknowns. There are things that you know that you don't know, right? There's the, I don't know anything about quantum physics, not, not a clue. And I know that very well, you know. Um, I don't know anything about uh, civil, civil engineering, no, no clue, right? I drive on roads every day. But I don't know anything about how they got there or why they are the way they are, right? Number three. Uh, there are unknown knowns. This is interesting. Unknown knowns are things that you forgot you knew, basically. They're just things that we do by instinct or by habit or by um, motor, uh, by, you know, uh, motor uh, memory, they're muscle memory. They're just, they're just things that we do. You don't, you don't remember, you know, you don't think about knowing how to breathe. You just do it. Um, you don't, there's a lot of times probably you are driving to a place that's familiar to you, the store, work, whatever. And it may take you, you know, a few minutes to get there. This happens to me all the time. It's kind of scary and I hate to admit it, but maybe it happens to some of you guys too. But maybe there's some times you drive and you'll get like, you'll get in deep thought 
daydreaming or whatever. And you get to where you, you almost don't know, you don't know where you are. It's like you come to and you're like, wait, where am I? And where was I going again? Or you like, you pass up maybe, or maybe you don't, maybe you drive straight to it. You drive straight from your home to work, let's say, but you have no recollection of going, of, of getting there. Like you don't remember passing any stores. You don't remember passing any, you know, like you just, you blank out, but you, you got there. So these are like, these are unknown knowns, things that we do just by rote. And then the last and fourth is that there are unknown unknowns. There are things that we don't know, we don't know, right? So known knowns, known unknowns, unknown knowns, and unknown unknowns. See, it's simple, right? No. Uh, there, are whole, there are things that we don't know that we don't know, and that can be the really tricky one. That can be the detrimental one we're going to talk about. Um, so speaking of the sciences, there's a, a philosopher, uh, I guess philosophy is more of an art, but anyway, uh, there's a, a f- English philosopher named Bertrand Russell that I found a couple quotes from that I really like. So, uh, I want to read one. He says, the whole problem with the world is that fools and fanatics are always so certain of themselves and wiser people so full of doubt. I think that's pretty, uh, that's pretty deep. Uh, another quote by Bertrand Russell. Uh, he says, a stupid man's report. I love this quote. Listen, if you've got to just, you know, daydream through this so far, listen to this quote, because I think this is a, an incredibly uh, profound analysis. He says, a stupid man's report of what a clever man says can never be accurate because he unconsciously translates what he hears into something he can understand. Wow. Wow. J- what an insight into the filters that we all have and the, the competence level that we all have, right? Um, I mean, what an incredible quote. See, the, the idiot, and when, when I talk about idiot or fool or stupid in this lecture, in this, in this, this talk, I'm not trying to be degrading. I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be, you know, in, in psychological terms, these are like classifications, you know, people, people who are ignorant, we're all ignorant. We all have things that we don't know, but if we are willing to learn, then we can say, no, I'm ignorant of that, but I, you know, I'd love to learn more about it. Stupid people, foolish people, idiot type people. Uh, and again, I'm not trying to be like degrading. I'm just trying to put a, 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 a you know, put a grouping. Um, those people go like, Oh, I'm sure there's stuff I don't know, but I don't care. I'm, I know what I know. And I know that it's so, and I'm, this is all I need. It's like, okay, cool. That's, that's fine. Um, but you know, you're going to, you're going to lose out on a lot. Um, a lot of growth with, I think even with God. So the, the, the foolish person, um, thinks that, you know, they know everything and this is, we're going to get into kind of the meat of what we're going to talk about. They think that they know everything um, at certain points, or maybe maybe their whole life is defined by a, a, the thought that they know everything, right? Um, but generally, they don't have enough knowledge to know to know that they don't know. Right, that was really clumsy. Um, so the the foolish person thinks that they know everything, right? Uh, but uh, and and the, the reason they think they know everything is because they haven't learned enough to know any different. Um, 
meanwhile, there are experts out there, people that are true, genuine, humble experts. And they think that they know nothing or they don't think about what they know because they assume that it comes as it comes as easy as it did for them to everyone else or because they know or all they're aware of all the ways in which they can be wrong right so we're going to take some time and kind of break this down but this whole thing this whole process the thing i've been telling you guys since ibr began think about what you're thinking about learn how to think ask questions our whole genesis all this stuff there is an, a whole area of study of psychology um, devoted to this. And I think that's awesome. And it's called metacognition. The word is metacognition. Metacognition, very simply, is the awareness and understanding of one's own thought processes. That's what metacognition is. Awareness and understanding of one's own thought processes. So it's thinking about how you think. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? And like, I know you might be going like, well, why is this important? Well, it's important because we all carry baggage. We all have baggage. And your baggage might not be religious. Like, you may not have church hurt, right? You, I know, I talk to people all the time and go like, no, I left the church in like really good standing. And, you know, I'm still cool. Like, I love my church background. And, you know, I love my church family and all. I just... You know, this is just the way that I felt like I needed to go. And I got nothing against the church. Like, I think the church is great. And like some of them criticize me for like, why are you always talking bad about the church? <laughs> you know what I mean? So there's some of you guys that don't, but even those people will have some type of baggage. We all do. All humans do. Because we've hurt each other, right? That's just part of, part of the way that it is in this, in this, uh, this olam, in this, this age. But we all have, have stuff. And we, we filter, we filter what comes into our lives a lot of times through that hurt, through that baggage. We have lenses and filters with which we filter the world. The things that we input into our five senses are filtered many times and most of the time through our baggage. And, and that is natural. That is as a self-defense mechanism. In other words, if you've been hurt before, your your subconscious is going to subconsciously protect you against being hurt again in that or a similar way by by amplifying what you take in as a possible threat. And so this is a this is a good thing, but but lenses and baggage are there. These filters are there, and we have to realize that. So it's important for us to think about how we think so that we can see areas of blind spots and things, especially in our search for the most important thing to us, and that is the truth of God. That, that's the whole point of this, guys. I'm not trying to pee in anybody's cornflakes. I'm not trying to hack anybody off. I'm not trying to isolate or alienate anybody. The, the point is that we are all searching for God. The most important thing in our lives, the most important person, the most important truth and, and, and relationship to us, we're all searching for his truth. And, and so this is important that we don't get it wrong because you will read the Bible and you will be biased in your understanding of scripture based on your baggage and on your lenses. It, it happens all the time. If, if you grew up in a tradition where 
a certain few verses were preached over and over and over and over and over and over. And most traditions have those verses, you know, in Pentecostalism, we call it the preaching scriptures. You have those handful of verses, five, 10, 12 verses, maybe. And they're preached over and over and over and over, just in different ways, shapes or forms. And every sermon basically is a, is a, a whole hour sermon just to get back to that verse. If that's the, one of the ways you grew up, then it's very hard to read those verses any other way because you have a bias, you have a lens, right? That's what I'm talking about. And it will shape the way that you live and the way that you expect things from God and expect a relationship from him. That's super important, guys. In our search for all out transparent truth, that's an important thing to consider, an important factor that we have in there. So uh, to wrap up this segment, we are going to continue next segment uh, talking about this, this incredible way and process that we go about breaking this down. Don't go away. We'll be right back after the break. guys welcome back to the second segment in this episode of image bearers radio so we left off last segment talking about this idea of metacognition and uh and thinking about or an awareness and understanding of your own thought processes and and how that is so incredibly important as we seek scriptural truth as we seek kingdom and we seek godly truth it's so important to understand where our blind spots are so thankfully as I said earlier, I believe that God gave the sciences to humanity as a, a tool and a way to understand his in, incredibly immaculate and miraculous creation. Um, thus, there is a known and studied phenomenon that when a person's lack of knowledge and skills um, in a certain area cause them to be overconfident or to overestimate their own confidence— so this is a thing that happens in, in people and has for, you know, ever, probably. Um, you know, a person, um, when they first begin to learn stuff about a particular subject, they, they tend to overestimate their own competence, right? By contrast, um, this effect also causes people who excel in a given area, either naturally or due to just hard work, uh, to think that the task is simple for everyone, right? <laughs> and to underestimate their relative abilities as well. And this is called the Dunning-Kruger effect. So I invite you all to go go Google happy on the Dunning-Kruger effect. If you've never heard of it, many of you have heard it, uh, heard of it before. And, um, and understand a little bit about this. So basically the Dunning-Kruger effect was uh, discovered uh, in 1999, which is not super old, right? I mean, that's, I mean, hey, I graduated high school in 98. Some of you graduated, you know, 10, 20 years maybe before me, but you think like, well, this is new science. Um, new science, but not a new phenomenon. Uh, two researchers named David Dunning and Justin Kruger at Cornell University. And so basically what, uh, they did was they uh, they they spotted they 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 just found this this thing um, in daily life 
And they so they 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 designed some studies and stuff to kind of con- confirm their findings or their their hypothesis, right? And so they tested random participants um, in the areas of humor, grammar, and logical reasoning. And they found that people that ranked in the bottom 25 percentile of, of any of the of, of the test scores, they tended to predict themselves to be at the top of the pack. So before they gave these, you know, these little exams, whatever, they said, okay, this is the subject matter of the exam. Um, rank yourself in where you're going to place in the class. And they all went like, oh, you know, these these people went like, oh, we're going to we're going to kill it. We're going to absolutely kill it. Um, and yet when they actually did the exam, they they scored in the bottom 25th percentile, right? Um, and so the, when, when, when the, on the other side or the flip side, people in the top 25th percentile, the, the smartest people, um, their predicted scores were way lower. So they, they, they went like, I don't know, we're going to be in the middle maybe in the, in the bottom somewhere. And they actually were the smartest. So they did more studies to reconfirm this and uh, over the next several years. And this became known as the Dunning-Kruger effect. Now, again, in science, it's just because something gets named in 1999 uh, doesn't mean that it's a, a new phenomenon, right? It means it's something that we it was just time for us to start understanding. And I think it's interesting that this study came out uh, in that time period because if you look at when like this, this latest uh, season of, 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 of Torah awakening really started happening, um, it's in the early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s. And I think that's really interesting. Um, could it be, just throwing this out, could it be that maybe Hashem was trying to prepare the faith community for navigating a new season of Torah awakening? Maybe if we'd have been more, maybe paying a little more attention to, you know, the sciences and stuff, maybe we would have gone like, oh, wait, hang on. I know how to navigate this, and maybe we would have saved ourselves a lot of trouble. Um, so this whole Dunning-Kruger effect, this phenomenon is, is kind of a catch-22. Um, people who don't know much about a subject don't have the knowledge or skills to spot their own mistakes or like knowledge gaps or blind spots. And that, that's, a, that's a big problem. Because, um, because of these blind spots, which we all have, um, we can't really see where we're going wrong, and so then we assume that we we got it down. Like we we don't see any problems in the learning, no no bumps, right? No hiccups. Um, on the contrary, there are people who at the who, like I said before, are literally genuine. You know, the top of their game, they're gurus, they're, they're experts uh, in certain subjects, um, but they don't have the ability to notice their speciality because their work comes so naturally or because they've worked so hard for so long that they don't realize that it's not that way for everyone, right? Um, the ease which with they, they pick up new skills and knowledge um, blinds them to the fact that some people really struggle and really have a hard time um, wrapping their head around this information, um, rather than underestimating se- themselves, they overestimate that everyone else's abilities match their own. I think that's that's really important. Now, if you were with us on Shabbat, um, if not, you can do this whenever you have time. Just look up Dunning, D-U-N-N-I-N-G, dash Kruger, K-R-U-G-E-R, effect chart, or just Dunning-Kruger effect, and you'll see it pop up on Google. 
And there's a chart there. And um, the chart is uh, confidence and competence um, on an X and Y axis. And there's a huge peak at the beginning. So in other words, low competence, which means you really don't know a whole bunch yet, but super high confidence. And it forms this big peak, big shot up. And this has been called by various people uh, Mount Stupid, the peak of Mount Stupid. I, I said Mount Stupid um, as well in my teaching. I might soften that a little bit and call it Mount Incompetent maybe. Might be a little more palatable. Sorry. Um, the peak of Mount Stupid. And then as you begin to become more competent, you begin to learn more about a subject, your confidence just free falls into in the chart what is called the valley of despair. <laughs> um, and then as you continue to gain competence, it your your competent your confidence rises rather uh, into what we what they call the slope of enlightenment, or I would call it maybe maturity. Um, and then finally, kind of leveling off into the plateau of sustainability, where you have high level of competence in an area. And you also have a high level of confidence. You know what you know, right? And I think this is incredibly important because the, the, this effect or this phenomenon and it's the study of it, um, it makes us aware of our own blind spots and it leads us to the opportunity to, to adjust so that we can learn better and we can progress and, and be, be more uh, you know, mature and, and mature faster without some of these pitfalls. I mean, let's just take a look at a few, a very few passages. Um, I mean, this could go on like ad nauseum, but Jeremiah 5, 21 says, hear this, you foolish people who have no understanding, who have eyes, but do not see, who have ears, but do not hear. No understanding. And there's, there's something really important in this chart or in this explanation. Uh, Jeremiah 10, 8 says, they are totally stupid and foolish discipline is useless. It's wood. So this is a really, you guys will all understand this. Have you ever gotten a Facebook debate with somebody over the Torah? Have you ever gotten a, a debate with your friends or your family or friends about, you know, you, the reason why you don't celebrate Christmas? Um, have you ever gotten into it with, with quote unquote, like-minded Torah people about how to keep a commandment, Right. I love this. I love this Jeremiah 10 verse. Um, they are totally stupid and foolish. Discipline is useless. It's wood or wooden. It, there's no, I just think this is a great verse to explain all of us, all of us. None of us like discipline. None of us like to be corrected. None of us like to be accountable. None of us like to be open to the, the idea, the possibility that maybe we don't have it right. Right. Um, Psalm 92, verse 7 says, A brutish man does not know, nor does a fool understand. There's that idea of understanding again. Proverbs 8, 5. O naive ones, learn prudence. Fools gain understanding. So again, there's this link to foolishness and understanding again. Remember I said earlier, I'm not trying to be degrading to people. This is just a, this is the biblical categories for people. But Proverbs 8, 5 also says, learn prudence. And I'm like, yeah, obviously, prudence. But then to be really honest, I had to go like, ah, I don't really know what prudence means. So I went and looked it up. Really, prudence means cautiousness. Learn cautiousness. 
Now, how many of you guys in the, in the, you know, in the Torah walk would classify yourself as cautious? Um, some of you maybe, maybe, maybe overly cautious, um, maybe just the right amount of cautious. Um, many people are not at all cautious. Uh, they are like just over, I mean, we all, we talk about it, you know, when we come into this movement, um, most of us, I would guess the vast majority based on my experience, go in, go through what we, a season of what we call sponge mode. And let me just, let me just offend you a little bit. If you're in this season of sponge mode, um, you're not smarter than everybody else. Um, you don't have more of a hunger for righteousness than everybody else and truth. Um, you don't have a, a more of an ability to, uh, to understand truth than everybody else. None of those things are true. Um, so don't be puffed up by pride by thinking that they are. Everyone who comes into this season goes through this time or comes into this walk, goes through this season of the, the you know, the sponge just just soaking up everything you can find, listening to teachings from anybody and everybody because you don't know who's who's right and who's not. Just you're at the buffet of knowledge, right? Of of Torah knowledge in the non-Jewish world most of the times. Most of the time. Because most people who come into this don't go straight to Jewish sources, right? So the the Proverbs are encouraging naive people which that is us guys. If you came from a Christian upbringing and you just found yourself faced with, there's this thing called Torah. I have to know everything about it. Then you are naive. That's you. That's you and me. I've been studying Torah for 15 years. I'm still naive, highly, very, really naive. I'm naive. So he says, learn cautiousness, learn prudence, right? Learn how to be, take it slow, take it easy. This is a, this is a, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Take it easy, take it slow. Make sure you understand what you're learning before you move on to something else, right? Um, and you can do like a search on whatever, Blue Letter Bible, Bible Hub, Bible Gateway, whatever, for, for uh, just for the word fool, foolish, whatever, and come up with all these, all these things, right? And more. So, this is really important because it, it requires us to take a step back, right? And realize that our own self-assessments of, of how much we know are largely biased and likely incorrect. That there's some, some real issues that this causes both to the individual and to the community, the faith community in our, in our, um, you know, context as a whole. And understand this, this, this Dunning-Kruger effect is not something that is a, a spiritual or a faith, you know, thing. This is all, this is in any, any form, any trade, especially in the trades. Probably I would think this would be really, you know, those of you guys that are plumbers, electricians, welders, um, you know, whatever. Um, I'm sure you get young guys on the job just out of trade school or, you know, just out of apprenticeship into the next phase of their, their career. And they know everything, right? They know everything, you know, Hey, I'm skipping a major, major, super major uh, group of people here that we probably all can relate to. Teenagers, right? Have you ever had a teenager? Have you had a teenager? Have you ever been a teenager? Yeah, obviously you have. Um, yeah, if you've been a teenager or if you've had teenagers, you understand this Dunning-Kruger effect completely. 
you can you can in the time that they are in your home from let's say 14 until you know 18 19 20 you can literally watch the chart that we showed on Shabbat and that you can look up you can literally watch that chart happen because what happens they start to get a little bit of knowledge and boom they just get hyper hyper um annoying right because they know everything like oh, you know they have <laughs> they have the thing where they know everything right mom and dad are stupid and this has been generational this has been generational right and then you realize that like as life starts to hit them oh man their confidence goes way down right they know they love they know they fell in love right they know this is the one and then whenever it turns out not to happen, their life falls apart, right? And then slowly they come back up to where they're good, right? You can see this chart happening in real time. And, and what is that thing that brings us out of the valley of despair through the slope of enlightenment into the plateau of sustainability? That's a thing called experience. Also called wisdom, in scripture, a part of this is understanding, right? So, so in one of the Proverbs uh, passages, uh, let me just check back real quick. It was Proverbs five twenty one. He's talking about you have you 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 have no understanding. Oh no, no, no Psalm ninety two seven. Um, nope, that's not it. One of them talks about uh, you have knowledge but no understanding. Anyway. About having, you can have knowledge and have no understanding, which means that you have no wisdom, which means you're you're on Mount Stupid, and you haven't fallen yet. Most of you will know if you've been honest with yourself and you've done, you know, any kind of learning for any amount of time, not even about the Bible, college or whatever. You know that that there's there comes a point where in your in your in your learning process where you think like I have no idea what I'm doing right? <laughs> That's the valley of despair. That's a good place. And so uh, I want to quote uh, uh, Oscar Wilde talking about teenagers. This is fitting. He says, I'm not young enough to know everything, right? Then we see this phenomenon happen a lot in younger people. So let's talk about some of the effects, uh, individual and systemic effects of this Dunning-Kruger effect and not, not knowing how to navigate it. So first, if you're a person who goes through this, uh, you, when you're at that Mount Stupid part, when you're in, just very new to learning about a topic, whether that's kosher eating or the temple or the calendar or the name or whatever, um, you can have an obnoxious overconfidence, right? With no real tested knowledge and without calling out anybody like I did on Shabbat, sorry, without calling out any group or any, you know, topic or whatever. We all have these blind spots, all of us. I think you know what I mean, right? Calendar name, you know, language, Kashrut, you know, anti-Semitism, all these things have, have things. Number two, you can have a self-deceit um, in the area of certainty. You can be deceiving yourselves as to your own certainty. In other words, you have this level of certainty that's really not accurate, right? Um, which causes an inability to, to push personal growth because what you're really dealing with then is a confirmation bias, and you're looking for things or, or you're only really accepting knowledge that already confirms what you already believe instead of taking in uh, input 
that challenges what you already believe, right? More eisegetical than exegetical. Um, this can, uh, this leads to also a lack of confidence in true knowledge. What do I mean by true knowledge? I mean, true knowledge is like, it's not something you found yesterday. True knowledge is something is, is a, uh, a, a blend of several different, different exposures to different things. So let's just take an example. Um, let's just take Kashrut. So um, maybe you understand the idea of biblically clean, right? And then maybe you go well, like, okay, but there's, there's a voice I haven't heard before. Well, you understand the Christian view of food, right? So then you, now you, uh, that's one part you have. Now you understand biblically clean, which is another part. It's a, it's a, a, a contrasting opinion and interpretation. And now you have those two things that you have to kind of decide what you're going to believe. Then you go, but wait, but there's one group I haven't heard from, and that's the Jewish people. The Jewish people don't have a concept of quote unquote biblically clean necessarily. They have kosher, right? Which is yet a third kind of opinion on the whole food thing. And so you go, well, wow. Um, so now I have to take all these three, you know, these three kind of worlds, and I have to figure out where I am. And I have to know enough about all of them to make an informed decision for where I feel like Hashem wants me to be. And when you do that, you really get an understanding of why people believe what they believe, where their belief came from, how it, how it evolved, how it came to be, and you can actually appreciate it even if it's what you decide, even if it's not what you decide to do, right? It's awesome. That's what I'm talking about, true knowledge. You've walked through all the possibilities, you have an understanding, you have a, a, a realization, and you understand where people, you're not mad, you're not, you know, trying to prove anybody wrong, you're trying to gain information for yourself so you can make the most informed decision. That's what I mean when I say true knowledge. And in the, in the Dunning-Kruger effect in the beginning, you don't have that. Um, and then systemic or communal issues... This, the, well, let me, the last individual one. What happens on mountaintops in scripture? It's where heaven and earth meet, right? It's where mortality meets with Hashem, where humanity meets with Hashem, with, meets with God. It, it does, in Israel's, in, in any, any context in the ancient Near East, it's whatever, whoever, whatever God your God is. I want to submit that what we have a lot of is we have a lot of people worshiping on Mount Stupid, in other words, we all think we know more than we really do, and we're obnoxious and arrogant about it, and what we really have going on is idolatry. Well, who's the idol? Well, we are. We have made, our, we have made God in our own image, or we have made ourselves the God of all knowledge and truth, and we're really worshiping, we're really worshiping ourselves, that we figured it out, we have the truth, whatever. In a communal sense, this is systemically dangerous because as a society, we miss learning from the best of the best. Because here's one of the things about this, this thing that I think you'll notice, I hope you'll notice, that the people that are the least knowledgeable are usually the loudest. Now think about that. And I think you'll, you'll go like, oh yeah, that's true, <laughs> right? People that are the least knowledgeable about a topic are usually the loudest, usually the most excited and the loudest they really hardly, hardly know anything about it. Um, and so it, we miss out on, on 
learning from the best of the best. And what I mean by the best of the best, again, in scholarship, I know biblical scholarship has gotten a bad rap. A lot of people, and a lot of people come out of the church, a lot of people in our in our Torah walk and movement, we absolutely have a distrust for scholarship and for the experts and leadership and all that kind of stuff. I get it. There are many people that have sought to do us bad. But there are people out there, guys, I, I, believe me, there are people out there with good hearts that love God, that, are, that love the kingdom, and they want the best. And we miss learning from them because their confidence keeps them behind closed doors. And, and, and we have a distrust, and yet we feel like we know it all, and, and it's just a, ma- it's a mess. It also leads to idolatry of a, of a person, Right? Where you go like, oh, we only follow this guy. That's all. He's the man of God for us. Like, oh, man, boy. That's a, anyway. It also leads, instead of growing your community into an open, welcoming community where different ideas can be discussed and, and truth can be hashed out in community the way it's supposed to be, it leads us to become more closed off and cultish. We become more, now I will say this to wrap up. The, what I didn't talk about yesterday was the positive things about being on Mount Stupid. When you're in that initial growth stage of learning, you're curious. You're, 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 you got courage to learn. I can learn all this. I can do this. And you're curious and you're excited. And that's, I don't mean to demonize only that new stage of growth. It can be dangerous, but it also comes with some huge blessings and can be an, uh, just an amazing time. And so understand what it is. Treat it with respect, mitigate its negatives, amplify its positives, and let's get to growing together. I love you guys all. Thank you for spending this time with me. Till next week, shalom, shalom. 